1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: Hello, and welcome back to Season 2. Welcome to In All Honesty, the podcast where you get the honest answers you didn't know you needed. I'm Michelle Ellman, and I'm a five board accredited life coach, and I use my experience from this to answer all the questions that have been on your mind lately. As you might have noticed, we took a little break. I say we, it's actually just me me, myself and I doing this podcast alone. There is no team. So I needed a little break to not only regroup, but to launch my second book, The Joy of Being Selfish. So as much as I've not been doing my own podcast, I have been doing countless podcasts for other people. I've been doing the rounds and talking about my book on pretty much everyone else's podcast. At one point, I think I did 10 podcast recordings in a week. So I am More practice than ever before, but not only that. If you think I am sounding a little different, a little more at ease, a little slower, perhaps, then you are not imagining it. I spent hours, many, many hours, recording my audiobook. And when you record an audiobook, you learn so much about recording and the way you speak. Like, for example, I found out my brain swaps out words. So if the page says two options, my brain will read two choices and say that out loud, which... Is either really, really, really smart or uh, really stupid. And I'm not really sure why my brain does that. But that is something I discovered in audiobook recording. But another thing I learned in audiobook recording is I talk very quickly. And I know you guys have been saying it to me too. But I think it was the comparison between recording my own audiobook while actually listening to Barack Obama's audiobook at the same time. I am probably one of the fastest speakers in the world. And Barack Obama is Definitely one of the slowest, and just having that juxtaposition made me realize how slowly slow needs to be in order to get the message and actually it was really important because there were moments in the book obviously I've read my book a number of times and so there are moments in the book where the producer was going that's a really important point you made if you speed up and you rush over it people aren't going to get that point so I've taken in some of those lessons and I'm trying to add those lessons into my podcast because obviously whilst it's a different format, it's still important that what I'm saying comes across and you get time to understand it, let it hit and resonate with you. So I am better at talking slowly, although I am not going to promise how long it lasts for, but it's definitely improvement. Other than that, book stuff has been wonderful and it's been great to release a book as a life coach. Like obviously I've always been a life coach but this is the first book where I released it and I was treated like a life coach. With Am I Ugly, Am I Ugly was such an important story and I actually don't imagine publishing any other book as my first book because it was like the story I needed to tell at that point in my life and it was also the story that really really mattered and still does to me. Um But... The problem with talking about your past and talking about illness and all of that is there's a lot of distractions in that where a lot of conversation ends up being about your body and over time that became, it felt quite reductionist to be honest and so to have this book greeted in the way that I'm a life coach being treated as an expert has felt amazing. And it's not just in interviews, it's in my general career as well. And that's filled me with so much joy to just have my brain acknowledged and feel like my message of you are more than a body is finally being heard and actually reciprocated. I mean, I guess also the podcast has helped with that. The podcast is the first place where I felt like I was being acknowledged as a life coach. Or even my first, first place was the Monday Q&As where I, people actually started realising I was a trained life coach. But the book also really helps. In some pretty amazing news, I have currently sold more copies of The Joy of Being Selfish in a month than Am I Ugly did. And that's saying a lot considering Am I Ugly is, what, two and a half years old? Um, and The Joy of Being Selfish is, as I said, only a month old, at least on the day I'm recording this. It's not even a month. Tomorrow it'll be a month. So that's your little catch up, that's where I've been, what I've been up to and when it comes to this season we are going to be doing more of the same, hopefully slightly better because practice always makes perfect and the first season of anything is always going to be a little bit of trial and error but also this season I hope to go into some areas in more detail and go a little bit more niche into issues so that we can get to the practical side as soon as possible in helping you give you as many tools as as I can. So this week we are going to start heavy. We are talking about grief. It's important for people to realise that grief isn't just an emotion that exists around death. I think when we first learn the word grief it's almost an automatic assumption that we don't realise you can grieve someone without bereavement being involved. You can grieve someone who is alive and until last year or maybe the year before, maybe 2019, I didn't really have the experience of feeling grief until 2020. And again, it wasn't around a death. So grief is an emotion you can experience around any loss. So that can be grieving a job, grieving a relationship. Or in my case last year, the pandemic actually brought up a lot of my medical stuff. And as a result, I felt a sense of grief for the loss of childhood that I had as a result of my surgeries. So in this episode, I want to make sure we're talking about all kinds of grief, as I believe the pandemic has actually brought out that kind of grief in everyone. We have all experienced loss in the last year, whether it's just loss of normality, loss of your job or loss of normal life. All of that is important. And I think it's important that we highlight that in this episode. And I think we all struggle to process this topic. And I actually don't think it's helped by the fact that there's still such a taboo around the word grief and the discomfort that surrounds it also prevents conversations from happening that need to be had. And that includes things like the fear of saying something wrong. So let's move all of that taboo and stigma out of the way and let's get into the questions and see what you're all having difficulty with.
3: Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for this lovely podcast. I've been listening since the beginning and I look forward to it every week. My question is about grief. My therapist passed away almost a year ago, and I feel like I haven't really progressed at all in my grieving. I've started seeing a new therapist, and it's been difficult for me to feel connected to her. I'm sure some of it is because I'm comparing the end of one therapeutic relationship to the very beginning of another one, but I still can't decide if my feelings are meant to be like pinpointing something that's wrong, and I need to take note of them, or if it's just taking time to connect because I'm still grieving my old therapist. So I guess I have two kind of questions. How do I disentangle the grief of losing my old therapist from my work with this new therapist so that I can start working on building this new relationship? And two, do you have any concrete steps to take on working through grief? Because it feels like not being able to do that is the biggest obstacle in this relationship and also elsewhere in my life. Thank you again.
2: Hey, lovely. This is so tough. That therapeutic relationship is so special and therefore it's understandable you're feeling this loss deeply. And then of course, the relationship with your new therapist can bring up a whole new set of emotions. The first thing I want to say is that it's important to remember that you have loved someone. And I believe that a therapeutic relationship can be a loving relationship, maybe in a different format, but one that is equally important. Anytime you think of a person when you used to think of them positively is now associated with grief. So a continued feeling of grief doesn't necessarily mean you haven't processed the grief, but that the love and the grief are almost intertwined, they're attached now. So you move on with the grief, you don't move on from the grief. In this specific context, for example, you might find that anytime you make a life decision and you hear your old therapist's voice in your head, grief now arises. I know for myself, I hear my life coach's voice in my head all the time. It's so ingrained in every decision I make that I can almost hear what she will say before I even go to a session with her and she tells me things. Therefore, it's a very present voice in your head and probably always will be. The second thing I want to ask you is Have you given yourself full permission to actually feel this grief? Sometimes, when it's a relationship like a therapist, we almost feel not entitled to the same level of grief as if it was a loved one or a family member because you know logically and rationally that. It was a relationship where you're obviously paying and so the dynamic is different but it's important that you're fully letting yourself feel that. There is no logic when it comes to your emotions so whatever you're feeling needs to be felt. Don't do any of this gatekeeping around emotions, what should you be feeling, what you shouldn't be feeling. What you are feeling is the part that matters. And when you ask for some more practical advice, what I would recommend practically is to find a quiet place, sit down and make sure you're comfortable and then ask yourself, if I wanted to speak to my old therapist, where would that place be in my body? You'll find it's located somewhere. You can also ask yourself, where is the grief for my therapist sitting in my body and start to actually have a conversation with that body part or that area in your body So ask that point in your body where you might be feeling discomfort or sadness or pain. What would you like to tell me? What are you trying to say? Thoughts will come into your mind and the key to all of this is to be incredibly patient. It's a slow process but thoughts will likely immediately pop up to your mind and just don't judge them or argue with them but talk to yourself as you would a small child. So let's say you ask the pain... What would you like to tell me? And it says, I'm really sad, I'm hurting. Then speak to it and respond saying, That's okay, you're allowed to be hurt. You suffered a big loss, and it's okay that it's affected you. And if it comes back with, But it's been a year, I shouldn't be feeling this way any longer, you can respond with, Yes, and their impact on your life was greater than a year, and that's okay too we have to be gentle with ourselves. In your voice note, you use the phrase progressed in my grief. So the question I would ask you is what does progress look like to you? Is it that you would like to feel the grief with less intensity? Or is it less frequency? Or is your expectation to not feel the grief at all? Because I think if we set the bar to never experience the grief, that's just not realistic. I truly believe grief stays with us because unless we have amnesia and forget all our experiences with that person, as often as the memories resurface, and again, that could be the memories or even could just be the advice they provided, that is as often as grief will surface as well. When it comes to the decision of your new therapist being a good fit or not, I understand the factor of your old therapist might confuse your feelings and not make it so clear cut. And that's why the best thing to do is to base it on practical things. So, for example, when you talk to your new therapist about your grief or your old therapist, does she provide you options, give you tools? And long term, does she make you feel better about it? I know it's not the therapist's job to make you feel better, but ultimately going into a therapy session with an issue means you should come out with more options. And in general, just feeling less weighed down by it. I also personally like to have an action plan so when I leave my sessions with my life coach it will often end with a sentence like so do you know what you're doing and that could be a specific meditation or a specific evidence exercise. If your therapist isn't providing you this then your gut about not connecting is probably correct. And I do tend to err on the side of trusting your gut. I tend to give people two or three sessions. And if it's just not feeling right, then it might not be the right fit. And you don't need a logical, rational reason in order to justify it. It could just be a feeling. But that feeling is important. I actually recently had this with a physiotherapist, which I know is slightly different. But something just felt off. And of course, I had moments of doubt. And I kept thinking well, maybe on the off chance, maybe next session will be better. Maybe I should try one more session. All of these things came into my mind. But eventually I spoke up and I changed physiotherapist within the same clinic. And then it was like this moment of, oh my God, why did I even doubt myself? The first instinct I had that this wasn't a right fit was right. I knew it was a bad fit. So why did I spend so much time validating my doubts rather than validating how I actually felt? Another way to figure this aspect out is to ask yourself what values you look for in a therapist and ask yourself if this new therapist feels that. You are right that comparing your new therapist to your old therapist is not going to work because you had a longer relationship with your older therapist and that took time to build that connection. So instead I'm asking you to look at values because that is not a comparison. Instead you're looking at that therapist as their own list of criteria and you can compare that person's values instead to your own list of values. I hope that provided you some options and and honestly as someone whose life coach is one of the most important people in my life to this day, do not underestimate the impact of the loss this could have on you. I'm sending you so much love and healing and I really hope you can find a therapist to support you in the rest of your journey.
1: And Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash/host.
2: This week in Dissecting Dysfunctional Conversations. I was actually about to say Dissecting Dysfunctional Relationships because that's how long it's been since I've recorded one. But there are a number of dysfunctional relationships in this show, so I guess that would also be a perfect fit. And rather ironically, I don't actually think this is a hugely dysfunctional scene, but actually a good example of a functional scene. But this week we are talking about Breaking Bad. I binge watched this with my family over Christmas. It's pretty much all we did in December and we managed to get through five out of six seasons before I had to come back to London. I am now fully caught up. But in this conversation I want to talk about, it's a scene where the main character has a cancer diagnosis and they don't have the money for the cancer treatment. So a family friend has offered him money. And I think ultimately changed his mind. The story is a lot more complicated than that but for the purpose of what I'm talking about that's all you need to know but I loved this scene because they all decide to sit down they all respect that it is his cancer and his decision but as a family they have feelings about it too and so each person gets a chance to voice their opinions while holding a talking pillow and I just thought it was a great scene to show you're allowed to have your feelings about someone else's decision but you cannot control that person's decision. At one point someone says what the hell are you saying and his wife affirms no keep talking it's your turn with the pillow keep talking say what you want to say but the best part is with his son. So as I said before grief doesn't just surface when someone dies but around things like a cancer diagnosis can provoke anticipatory grief. And that is what the whole family would be feeling. And when it's the son's turn to talk, he doesn't want to talk. And when he eventually does, he simply says, I am pissed off in the direction of his mother. And she just responds with, tell him and points to the father so that he addresses it to his father. So he says, I am pissed off to his father And what he's angry about is he feels like his father is giving up against this cancer and he's also angry because he's disabled and has had to go through so much medical stuff himself and he states, you're scared of a little chemotherapy, what if I had given up? And as much as it probably isn't right or fair to say those things, I actually think when you create a space to let people talk freely and have their feelings about a situation while respecting that it's his situation he is going through and that it's his cancer but the family are also allowed to feel their feelings about his decision that's the healthiest way you can do it. And it was all done so calmly and in a communicative way. I mean, I do understand I'm missing a huge part of the storyline here. In case you haven't seen Breaking Bad, it's about a chemistry teacher turned to meth maker. So yes, lots of drugs in this show. But it's a great watch. And this conversation and this scene in particular, I just thought it fit perfectly in this episode. And it was a really good example. And sometimes I'll throw in a good example, not all dysfunctional conversations, but actually a good scene that could help more functional conversations in our life and since we're talking about grief this was too good to not comment on. So let's get
4: on to the next question. Hi Michelle, I have a question about grief. So I lost my husband this summer due to illness. Uh, He'd been sick for um, three years And um, we uh, thought he was going to pull through. uh, But he suddenly had to go in to the hospital. And um, a week later he died. And I couldn't be with him all the time. Because of uh, the corona restrictions. I was allowed to visit. But um, for very short times. And the thing is that... Um, the first uh, the first day he uh, recognized me and could still speak some. And I had to go home after just being there for a few minutes. Because I, I wanted to let him rest and I wanted the staff to do their job without me disturbing them. But I have this guilt that I left when I could still communicate with him because he turned unconscious 24 hours later and it just keeps coming back and um, i really would appreciate your thoughts on that thank you and lots of love
2: thank you so much for your question and thank you so much for sharing that i'm so sorry for your loss so many people are going to be experiencing the same thing after losing someone so close to you and so you sharing your story is really going to be helping so many others and I just I just want to express my thanks and gratitude for sharing that with me um, and opening up so much. When someone passes, we have a tendency to want to focus on the final moments with a person But the time you spend with a person in their final moments or whether you're even able to be there in those final moments isn't what matters. The whole span of their life matters. The quality time you had together, the moments you both made each other feel cared and loved for. And I truly don't believe one moment will change the fact that your husband died very much loved, very much cared for and knowing that you loved him with all your heart One moment doesn't discount your years of love and being there through the years. And there will be so many people in the pandemic who weren't there for the final moments. And as awful as that is, the person will know that they are loved. Your husband will know that you loved him so much with all your heart. And the only reason you left was because you cared about him. Because you cared about his health and you wanted him to get better. I don't know if this story will help you, but I've told this story a few times to friends who've had loved ones pass away, especially recently. And I've been told by a few people that it's reassuring. But when I was younger, I had a number of surgeries, and there was a moment where I flatlined and I experienced myself leaving my body and seeing my body from above. Up until that moment, I was in absolute agony. I was in the most pain I'd ever felt. And moments before that happening, that pain was still existing. But as soon as my heart flatlined and as soon as I was classed medically dead, the pain disappeared. And I experienced the greatest sense of calm that I've never been able to experience since. I can recall it even as I'm talking about it now. And it's just this overwhelming sense of calm. It was like a overwhelming peacefulness. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because if your husband was experiencing a lot of pain, was under a lot of medication and this illness was a long illness, when you are in those stages, time gets really blurred and I'm speaking from experience from that phase in my life that you almost lose a sense of time, you'll have vague memories of words that were said and you will actually remember the majority of conversations, you just won't remember the order of things and you'll appear lucid to everyone in the room but it's like the memories are slightly in a random order and the length of time is hard to tell so if your partner was in a similar stage which obviously there's no way of saying but they will likely not even know how long you were in the room for they likely will have memories of you visiting and the conversation that you had But especially if medication was involved, the length of time will not seem as important to them either. You made the best decision you could have with the information you had at the time. And you have to tell yourself that as many times as you need because this story you have created is just hurting yourself. And I say that with all the kindness in the world, but this is a story you have told yourself. It is not the truth. The facts are you left that day so that he could rest. The story you are telling yourself is that because you did not stay, he would feel unloved or alone. Those are my words, but I want you to find your own words to describe what story you're making up in your mind and separate what happened from the meaning you are telling yourself. What does it mean that you left when you did? That meaning is the thing that is causing this guilt and that meaning is the part you need to change. So I want you to go to your most grown up, most adult part of yourself and fact check this meaning. You are the only person who can do this because you are the only person who knows how you are finishing that sentence. You do not deserve to feel this guilt and your husband would not want you to feel that way. The way to make peace with this decision you made is to go back to that moment and talk to that version of yourself who wishes they had done differently. You have to comfort them from an outside, almost third person perspective and tell yourself in that moment and talk to her, knowing what you know now with the understanding that you have now that you couldn't have known that then. I hope this provides you some solutions to help and relieve the guilt because you truly do not deserve to hold on to this and you really need to let the guilt go in order to be kind to yourself in the grieving process. I'm sending you so much love and again, thank you so much for your question and being so vulnerable in your voice note. So many others will be feeling the same guilt and your voice note will help so many people know that they aren't alone. I'm sending you so, so much love. This week's three tips are for processing your grief around death. Number one, write a letter or send a text to that person. Sometimes it helps to actually say what you need to say to the person. I personally am grieving a person in a coma at the moment and as much as I still believe she is with us and she is absolutely not dead, it brings up feelings of loss and I've been texting her and it's been really helping. Whenever I think about her I send her a text and I know that she can't read it but even though she can't read it, it still really helps and so you can do that with people who've passed away too. 2. Allow yourself even the uncomfortable emotions. When someone passes, we may experience emotions that don't make rational or logical sense to us, like anger, and whilst our instinct might be to not let ourselves feel that because how can you be angry at a dead person, you are allowed to have that emotion. Let yourself be angry and process and express that emotion as if the person is still alive. Emotions don't have to make sense to your logical and rational mind. 3. When you cry, cry audibly. That might sound weird to you, but when you experience grief, it consumes your whole body. So actually letting yourself wail and be loud when you cry helps get the energy out to fully process it. When you first give yourself permission to cry loudly, you might find the pain actually gets worse and that it's more intense than if you cried quietly. And it almost feels like it consumes you. This is you actually giving yourself full permission and full access to feel that hurt and it will hurt like hell, but it's needed. If you don't get to be alone, go do it in your car or do it in the middle of a field where no one can hear you and just let yourself fully feel it. Some also find that surrounding themselves with comforts like blankets or curling up into the fetus position also helps.
3: Hi, Michelle. Me and my dad have always had issues throughout my childhood, and even now still. Uh, I'm 23. Some of these issues have even led to a trauma of sorts on my part. And there's really no way for me to resolve the issues, since they are his to fix. How do I grieve the father that I would have liked to have? And how do I deal with that trauma with my inner child? Love, Ilse.
2: Hey there, this is such an important question because I actually don't think people realise that you can grieve a person who is still here. So just like I said, I spent some time last year grieving my childhood. Similarly, you can grieve the father you thought you had or the mother you wish you had. As we age, we realise that the perfect perception we have of our parents was false. And therefore, there is a loss that occurs between the, the parent you imagined you had or wanted to have And the parent you actually have. So the fact that you have identified this as a problem or something that needs healing is already so ahead of the curve. How you grieve your dad is by going back into every moment in your childhood where you wish your dad had been there or your dad had been a better father or your dad had done better. And if you go back into that memory, as your adult self, your most grown up self, and you parent that version of yourself at that age, you as a child, by saying all the things that your dad should have said to that child in front of him. You let that child be a child in that moment and have all the feelings they were not allowed to have at that time. And also say all the things they might not have had a chance to say, So for example, let's say you remember being in a school play when you were 10 years old. Your dad said he would come and he never turned up and you were looking out in the audience and trying to find him. And then when you went home, he acted as if you told him the wrong time or the wrong date and never apologized and basically pretended like it was a non-event. Go back to that time. Maybe the moment that child went backstage and felt sad and have a kind and caring conversation with her, telling her that she's allowed to feel let down or upset or disappointed that her dad should have been there, but that you are so proud of her and you know how hard she worked to learn her lines. Then you might want to go back to the moment where you arrived at home. Now go into your current adult self and speak to your dad as an adult you might want to imagine that the child's version of you isn't in the room if you think they would be scared or if they might not want to be in the room or might feel embarrassed. Alternatively, you might actually want your inner child in the room because you it's important for them to know that they were being defended in that moment. It's totally up to you. You then speak to your dad like the adult you are, telling him how unacceptable it is and whatever you want to say in that moment. Obviously I've completely made up a situation but you need to go through and do this with every memory that you have and yes it takes ages and it's painful to grieve the parent you thought you had or the parent you wish you had but actually that's the way to heal it. The parent child relationship is so pivotal so until you fully parent yourself it's hard to move on. Whilst doing this you might find that you need to cry or write a letter to your parent You shouldn't send the letter because it's a very much internal process at first. And if you do want to say something, then do so afterwards and after you've healed it, especially within yourself. Because unfortunately, in a situation like this, having the conversation with the person does almost put the expectation on them to say the right thing. And when you do that and they disappoint, that actually can reopen the wound and um, doesn't help the healing process. This is why we have to go back to those moments ourselves and reparent ourselves in the way we deserve to be parented in the first place because that child has been let down so many times and sending a letter to them or having conversation with them does open you up to the same potentially happening again. This process can take months, so don't rush yourself. You also might find that after a month or so, you need a break from it. You can absolutely do it at your own speed and return to it later. Or What you might find happens is a new event happens around your dad or a new conversation that brings up new feelings and then that wound reopens and it gives you an opportunity to heal more familiar patterns and bring up that wounding again and do more of the healing process. But you don't have to do it all in one Phase of your life. Uh, This is a lifelong journey. I'm sending you so much love and appreciation for this question. It is a great question and it is a painful process. So I'm sending you a lot of strength as well. Thank you so much for sending a voice note in. So the thing I am currently working on at the moment is not being hard on myself. Wow, that's such a cliche, but this is one of those endless goals that slip over time and I get good at it and then as soon as I take my eye off of it I start slipping back and having moments where I'm being mean to myself for me the reason why it was brought to my attention and the reason why it had slipped was because of driving driving is one of my worst fears and fear and self-criticism are so connected fear is one of those things that really helps you regress (laughs) And well, it did it to me. In general, I'm quite an impatient person. And it is what happens when you thought you would be dead at 21. With my medical record, I thought I would never live this long. So I've always lived my life with a certain impatience and always in a rush. And therefore, when I don't pick something up quickly, or not even quickly, instantly, or don't get something done fast enough, I feel like I'm wasting time. And that leads to this this frustration that ends up with me being very self-critical. So I drove for two weeks for the first time in seven years and on my last drive I got so frustrated that I hadn't progressed as much as I thought I would have. In fact my expectations were way off and two weeks is nothing especially compared to the fact that it's been seven years So I need to be more patient and I also need to be easier on myself. I also need to be proud of myself because I got back in a car and that's the thing that matters. And I did two weeks of driving with no scratches, no crashes. And that is the part that matters. So I do believe all those things are really connected. But now that I'm conscious of it, I can change it. I have yet to get back in a car, but I will be getting back into a car at some point. And that is it for the episode. Thank you so much for all the questions. Welcome back to season two. The podcast wouldn't happen without all your voice notes. So I really, really appreciate everyone who has taken the time and the energy to send a question my way. It means the world that you trust me with your very, very vulnerable stories. And I really appreciate all the people who are putting themselves out there and asking questions. If you would like to be part of a future episode and want to get your question answered, then email me a voice note at in all honesty, at mindsetforlife.co.uk. If you didn't catch that, the email address will be in the description below. And go get my new book, The Joy of Being Selfish. It's all about boundaries. And if you like this podcast, you will love my new book because. Well, I created them both, for lack of a better reason. And if you would like to find me other places, you can follow me on Instagram at ScarredNotScared. You can find me on Twitter and TikTok at the same username. You can also get my book, Am I Ugly? which was my first book, or watch my TED Talk, Have You Hated Your Body Enough Today? It is online and on YouTube. I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Next week, we are talking about cutting people out. So tune in next week for that. And thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye.